Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Welcome, I'm Amanda Farmer and this is Your Strata Property. Tony Scott is a committee member in a small block in Sydney's Lower North Shore, having downsized to Strata around 10 years ago. Tony is semi-retired but keeps busy as the joint publisher and proprietor of a medical publishing firm in which he's been involved for 38 years. Tony says the joy of Strata Living is its convenience as well as the lifestyle benefit of being able to lock up and leave as Tony is lucky enough to spend part of each year enjoying the French countryside. Today I am delighted to welcome Tony Scott. Welcome Tony. Thanks Amanda. A pleasure to have you here on the show and some of our listeners might be thinking, okay, Tony, committee member, uh, small block, Lower North Shore, Sydney, what is Tony here to chat to us about today? I will answer the mystery for our listeners. I've asked Tony to come on the show to share with us his recent experience of changing the bylaws in his scheme from a blanket ban on pets to allowing pets with the approval of the committee. Now, those of you who have been listening to the podcast for a while will know that this is a topic that we regularly come back to, pets in our strata buildings. And it became a bit of a hot topic more so towards the end of last year when we had a couple of tribunal cases come out in New South Wales that really showed a shift, I think, in the attitude of our tribunal, uh, of our legislators when it comes to uh, keeping pets in our strata buildings. And if you haven't yet, head back to episode 141 where I'm chatting to Rena about those cases. And in short, they were tribunal cases where the members said that a blanket ban on pets is harsh, unconscionable or oppressive and overturn those bans, allowing pets into a previously pet-free strata building. Now, Tony, I know you have had recent experience, as I said, in making some changes in your scheme. So I thought I'd bring you on the show, have a chat about how you did it, why you did it and how it all went. How does that sound? Right. That sounds pretty good. It wasn't too bad, actually. It took a <laughs> little while. It took a little while, but we got there. Mm, well, I know uh, many of our listeners would be interested in that process that you took, uh, what the challenges were along the way, because I've certainly been contacted by quite a few people who are wanting to go through this process. So thank you for coming and sharing your experience on the show. I'm going to start by asking you, Tony, where did the impetus for change come from? So you've gone from, as I said, a blanket pet ban to a new bylaw that, as I understand it, allows pets with the approval of the committee. Whose idea was it? Why the change? Okay, well, when my wife and I moved in here 10 years ago, the uh, pet ban was in place and it was not something that I was particularly happy about, that we don't have a dog, but we do have family members who like the grandkids like to bring their dogs when they come. And, of Mm -hmm. course, that's not possible with a blanket pet ban. Mm. And in the last 10 years, the makeup of the strata changed quite significantly. You know, people come and go, whereas before the committee was dead against pets, as were the majority of the uh, resident owners, And then that changed and it it almost reversed. We had the majority of the resident owners in favour of repealing the bylaw, except for one, 
And we thought that would be pretty easy, but the proxies were achieved from two overseas absentee landlords and that prevented it happening. Even though mm. the majority of the resident owners were in favour, people not living here, living overseas, but owning property here could change it. As you would understand, with 10 units, you need 75% to change mm. the bylaw. You can't get seven and a half, so you've got to have eight. That's it, yep. <laughs> so th this is hardly democratic. So <laughs> we went to a lot of trouble to present our case. Both parties presented their case. We did a lot of research. We were pretty sure that the proxies from the overseas landlords would knock it out, and it did. That leads to a little bit of ill feeling at Estrada, which mm. is unfortunate, especially when the majority of people living here and owning property would like to see it changed. So we put it back on the agenda this year in the annual general meeting, but we included with the AGM copies of information regarding the two recent NCAT judgments and that that changed the, uh, the landscape considerably because I think people were able to read through that. I think there was one article in Flat Chat another one in the Sydney Morning Herald, mm. the strata manager included those with the agenda for the AGM mm -hmm. and all parties were able to read through that and I think it just completely neutralised all resistance. Mm. Now, I think, Tony, you might be selling yourself a little bit short here because I have seen the bundle that uh, you put together and I'm not sure if it was you personally or together with some other resident owners, the bundle of material that I understand was circulated to fellow owners prior to the meeting, encouraging them to vote for the change. And you've got some, it's essentially a, a proposal with a lot of thought, a lot of work gone into it. And I'm just, I've got it in front of me now. And it says things like, in essence, this proposal will demonstrate and respect the rights and wishes of both resident owners and landlords, provide evidence to dispel the unfounded fears about appropriate pets in apartments, provide verification that pet-friendly apartments deliver higher property values and rental returns, I love that one, and illustrate the many additional benefits that pets bestow on their owners and the community. And then the uh, bundle, as you say, goes on to provide evidence in support of each of those, including the cases and the articles that referred to what I really think is a, a changing culture in our strata schemes. That point about higher property values, can you talk to us about that? Yes, well, when we put that proposal together two years ago, that was when we couldn't get the repeal through because of the proxies. Mm. When we presented that, I thought we should do as much research as we possibly can and determine why people are against having pets in apartments. Generally, the, the major reason revolves around noise. Mm. Either people don't like pets at all, they don't like dogs, they don't like cats, or they fear barking dogs is going to disturb the peace or that dogs may soil the common property. So th they were the main ones. So <laughs> I checked that out with the, with the North Sydney Council and was able to demonstrate that noise was not a problem. You know, there are 3,600-odd uh, registered pets or dogs in the North Sydney catchment area. Mm -hmm. And I checked with the ranger and the ranger said, well, I said, how many complaints do you get? He said about two a week. So that's 100 a year out of 3,600, mm. which is pretty small. And he said 70% of those were sorted out very, very quickly and it only left another 30. Uh, that's about less than half of 1%. Mm. And he said that it was then very, very rare for remedial notices to be sent out from council mm. and that the main problem wasn't uh, the dogs, the main problem was the owners of the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> 
the lady at uh, Western Sydney University also said that uh, people sort of get upset and uh, get a little bit aggressive when somebody else's dog barks and then it creates ill feeling. Anyway, mm, yeah. uh, that was proven not to be a problem. Now, you honed right in on, on value of properties. Mm. I checked out with all of the agents in the area and they said, without a doubt, when a property goes to auction, you can achieve between 5 and 10% more if it's pet friendly because yes. there are so many people who have pets now. A very high percentage of the Australian population has pets. It, the landscape has changed dramatically. Mm. Uh, so 5 and 10% was the figure. Now, that's significant. Mm. Uh, and not only that, uh, for landlords, they can achieve a higher rent. A lot of pet owners are prepared to pay a premium on their rent. They're also model tenants, according to the property managers. As I spoke to sales managers as well as property managers, pet owners look after their apartments meticulously because when the pet inspections come around, they don't want to be turfed out. Yeah. So they're the best of all possible tenants, according to all the property managers I spoke to, and I think I must have spoken to at least six or eight, and I had written confirmation from those as well to present to the initial meeting we had on this issue. Yes, and I can see that you included in the proposal those written confirmations from the agents about the increased property value, which I just think is such an excellent point and would speak to those investor owners who are not otherwise living there and not otherwise interested in whether they can keep pets or not, but would certainly be interested in their property values. So that exercise of identifying the objections and being able to answer them with evidence was just fabulous, I think. Well, I think the other interesting thing is, and I couldn't understand why non-resident uh, landlords uh, would be against repealing the bylaw because they currently have the right, even if it's a pet-friendly strata, the landlords have the right to make their own tenant selection criteria so they could stop that. But they, they could benefit from increased property value Mm. And at the same time, keep tenants with pets out of their apartments. Yeah, that's a very good point. I think that's often overlooked. Even yes. if the owner's corporation has a bylaw that says pets are allowed or pets are allowed with the consent of the strata committee, it is within a landlord's right to say in their residential tenancy agreement that there are no pets allowed in this particular lot in my yes, unit. Yes. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Now, just looking at the terms of your new bylaw, it's a fairly short one. I know when I draft what I call keeping of animals bylaws. They can run to a few pages just because I'm one of those annoying lawyers who likes to cover all angles. But yes. your bylaw, I think, is very neat and to the point. And I won't read the whole thing, but in short summary, it says that a pet can be kept, but the prior written permission of the owner's corporation must be sought. And there's a few conditions set out in the bylaw. So keeping the pet uh, within the lot, carry the pet on common property, keep the lot clean, keep the common property areas clean, comply with the noise bylaw. So that's addressing your noise concern and permission can be revoked if those conditions are not complied with. Now, I was going to ask you the question, what do you think is a good pet policy for a building? But I'm assuming that you would tell me that what is set out in your new bylaw is the way you think other buildings should go. Well, I think that that's the bylaw that we proposed as a starting point because I think there were two possible bylaws as proposed by New South Wales Fair Trading when they amended the uh, strata. Mm. Or so that was a couple of years ago. 
Yep. And I think there was one from memory where you could just tell the uh, the strata that you were bringing an animal and that was it. Yes. And and this one was you had to ask for permission. And I think that's fair and reasonable. That's only a matter of common courtesy. Mm. And, of course, there may be some people with pets that you wouldn't want in the property. We're still to write a full detailed sheet on that. For example, we may require... If it's a tenant, we may require references from their previous landlord to say that their pet is well behaved mm-hmm. and it's not a problem. But at the moment we're starting with that. I don't think we've got down to the nitty-gritty yet. You said you write something much more lengthy. We probably will too because it's nice to have something that's a catch-all mm. so that you don't have arguments later on. But we currently have one pet. One of the committee members has a small dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and I have currently been looking after our granddaughter's uh, dogs while they've been on holidays. Mm-hmm. And that there have been no problems. So I think anybody who's responsible, we always said this right at the beginning, most people are responsible and they don't want to upset their, their fellow residents, so they'll, they'll do the right thing. And um, I just forget the, the name of the lady. Now, you may have it um, in that package I sent you from North, uh, Western Sydney University. Yep. Uh, said that most people are very responsible in that respect and that there should be no problem. And all it generally means is if somebody's got a dog that's being a bit of a nuisance, is going and having a quiet chat to them at some stage and say, hey, did you realise? Yes. Uh, and the uh, range of North Sydney Council said exactly the same thing. I know there have been uh, isolated instances around Sydney where I think I saw an article in the Herald a couple of years ago uh, where there was one particular suburb where there had been a lot of problems with pets, but that was very much an isolated incident, and that just doesn't hold up in the North Sydney catchment area, mm. according to the North Sydney Council. Yeah. It's Dr Emma Power from the University of Western Sydney, and yes. she was actually uh, one of my early guests on the podcast talking about, of course, this very issue, and that's episode 19, if anyone wants to check out my interview with Emma about how to deal with pets in strata building. So fabulous to see that you've been able to access her work and use that to your benefit there in making that change in your strata building, Tony. I think that's all useful information. I think you have to have a logical reason for objecting to pets in apartments mm. and you can't have a blanket ban. That's just not logical. It doesn't make any sense. It's totally selfish and there's nothing to substantiate the <laughs> fact that you could do that. And I think the the uh, uh, the recent judgments at the tribunal point to that quite clearly. And I, I think that's going to be a, a deal breaker. I think that'll really change the landscape. The only thing to change then will be to prevent landlords from choosing tenants without pets because that, that's terribly unfair and that forces people with uh, with pets to seek very li- a limited range of, of accommodation. Yeah, and have to pay more. Yes, and have to pay more. Mm. Uh, so that, that's totally unfair. And in a democratic society, uh, people should be able to, within their own apartments or houses, should be able to do pretty much what they want as long as they don't disturb anyone else. And I think common sense has prevailed with those two recent judgments. Yeah, look, I, I agree with that and I often say it's about it has to be about regulating the outcome of keeping the animal as opposed to the fact of the animal. I agree with you. There's just no common sense reason why you'd regulate the fact of keeping an animal. And I think when it comes to bylaws, and it's sounding like this is the direction that you're heading in, Tony, a straightforward bylaw that says something like animals are permitted with the approval of the committee 
and granting the discretion to the committee to consider each application on yes. its own facts, on its own merit, looking at the type of animal, recognising, of course, that there are certain dangerous breeds of dog, for example, or you might not want particular reptiles around the building. So you need to have that discretion to be able to assess each application and, of course, not unreasonably refuse any application. Yeah. It mainly revolves around cats and dogs, I think. For example, you know, people might want a budgery yard, you know, that's fine on their balcony, but yeah. we probably wouldn't be happy about a large screeching white cockatoo. <laughs> no. uh, but but, but that, that would be pretty rare, I would imagine. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Okay, so we have some listeners, uh, committee members, maybe wanting to make this change in their scheme, lot owners getting excited about the fact that they might finally be able to get a dog for their small child or something like that. What would you recommend they do as a very first step towards achieving the aim of wanting to make a similar change in their building? Okay, I think the first step is to have an informal meeting about it to find out what everybody's position is mm. uh, just to find out which way the wind is blowing, a meeting that's kept pretty relaxed and to say, is there, is there a chance we could look at changing this? If there are any objections, what are they? And then to, to go away and put together a proposal we did in this particular strata, something that can clearly alleviate all of those fears, and it's generally fears that people have you just can't rule out having pets because you don't like pets and you wouldn't want pets. Mm. So if they've got all their data, they can speak to eight managing agents in their area to find out what the problems are, uh, speak to the estate agents themselves who are selling property to find out if to prove, for, because it may vary from place to place. Mm. To see if you can get some solid evidence that having pets in strata is absolutely no problem whatsoever and will enhance the value of the property. But not only that, it enhances the sense of community. If you get a little dog and you walk down the street with it at night time, it's amazing, amazing how many people will stop and have a chat to you. You'll be talking to people in your community you've probably never spoken to before, and mm. a lot of people say that. Yeah. So there are virtually no disadvantages, none that I can think of, if the pet selection criteria is a good one, and there are lots of advantages. And even people living alone, widows, widowers, people with depression, there is a stack of medical evidence around now to show that pets are very, very therapeutic and to deny somebody that is just not right. Mm. Excellent. Thank you very much for those very practical, uh, actionable tips there, Tony. Now, you're a guest on the podcast. You get the book question, what books have had the greatest impact on you and why? Okay. Now, look, that's that's a pretty hard one, Amanda. What I know, books? Right. Yeah, I'm glad I don't years, have to answer it. <laughs> there have been many books, but there's probably two that come to mind, and they are pretty odd, right? Okay. It's a pretty hard thing to do because I, I have a, a very broad reading range. I suppose the book that impressed me the most, and I don't know, it's a long time ago, I think it was the late 70s or early 80s when I read uh, Seven Years in Tibet by oh. Heinrich Harrer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was uh, the true story an Austrian mountain climber who was interred by the British at the beginning of the war, the Second World War, and was in Tibet for seven years and, and had the most remarkable experience and learned so much about the society of Tibet, which was a wonderful place. Got to know the Dalai Lama very well. And, of course, that all ended with the invasion of uh, Tibet by China and there, there we've had a, a society that's been, a wonderful society that's been completely destroyed. But having read that book, you know, you could go on for hours about it, but you'd, mm-hmm. I, I'd recommend anybody read that book. So that's one, I guess. Thank you. And the other one is is pretty odd. 
uh, seeing that I don't have any political affiliations, was False Dawn, The Delusion of Global Capitalism that was written by uh, John Gray, who's the Professor of European Thought at the London School of Economics. He's an emeritus professor now. Right. But that, that was quite amazing. And it's not a book written from a Marxist or a socialist point of view. It was just somebody that's had a lot of experience uh, with government as well. I think he had a lot of experience with Margaret Thatcher's government. And it just shows that there are a lot of things about capitalism as we know it today, however you define it, that are pretty unsound and they break down. And uh, we're starting to see a little bit of that popping through now, more than mm. a little bit, I think. But that was a very interesting book. Mm, thank you for sharing those. I will make sure that we have links to each of those books in the show notes for this episode so our listeners can check them out if they'd like to. Before we wrap up, Tony, is there anything that you would like to add? Any parting comments? No, look, I, I don't think so. I just wish everybody luck with uh, changing their blanket bands on pets and I think just popping in front of everybody's nose the recent decisions by NCAT mm. Uh, should make people think because I think that made the difference here because nobody wants to be taken to the tribunal and have that overruled. You might as well not go through that trouble and just get on with it and do the right thing. That's what made all the difference in our strata. All of the logical arguments we put forward really had no influence at the time because <laughs> it was pre we were preaching to the choir mm. except for the, the non-resident landlords who wouldn't budge, but that's... Uh, that just disappeared with everybody reading those two rulings from NCAT. I think that makes all the difference. Yes, I agree with you there. And good on you and your fellow owners for putting in that hard work. And goes to show, you want to get something achieved in your building, it is possible. There are happy stories. There is a lot of positives coming out of our strata buildings and it's particularly why I wanted to share your story with our listeners today. Uh, if you put the work in, put your mind to it, get some support, be creative, do your research, then you can affect uh, important change that I agree needs to be happening in our buildings. So good on you. And thank you for taking the time to share that with us today. Okay. And one other thing I'd add, when you're doing that, be as diplomatic and as friendly as possible with the people who have an opposing mm. point of view to you because they're entitled to that. Absolutely. So it's a matter of gentle, quiet persuasion, I think. And that, that wins the day. Being courteous and respectful. Yep. I love it. Thanks so much, Tony. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today?